Well, good morning. Okay, first accomplishment for the morning, don't spill the water. Anytime, as a fellow preacher with Pastor Joe, anytime a man or a woman, a minister, comes up to share the Word of God, there's something that's very evident to that individual, and it's their lack, their inability without the Holy Spirit and without the Lord. That said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. And I am amazed but grateful that you use broken clay pots, crackpots, if you will, to deliver your word. And I ask for your spirit's guidance and strength. And I pray that our hearts will be open to your word today, that we would receive it. Allow it to sink into our souls, into our very spirit, and to change us so that we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you heard already this morning, I'm Rick Werkheiser, and I am one of your elders. Um, typically prefer to be in the background. Um, so this is a challenge, especially with all of you out there. As lovely as you look, you're frightening. I am delivering to you the third part in our series, Teach Us to Pray. And the scripture that we have been studying is Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 13, and otherwise known as the Lord's Prayer, but uh, isn't it really our prayer? I believe that's a reflection of what others have said that have spoke on this before. It's really our prayer. It's how we are to pray. It is a pattern or a program, if you will, of communicating with God our Father and also receiving direction from Him. Well, let's say the Scripture together. Uh, you can open your Bibles or get your phone apps and turn to Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13, or just follow along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And I, since I'm up here and, and uh, can make a confession before all of you, I actually prefer the King James version of that better. Sorry to go old school, but it's just pretty. And I think there's something, you know, when we get to heaven, I really, really think we're going to be surprised to find that God says, thy and thou. And we're going to be entering heaven on a learning curve, but that's okay. 
Our focus is verse 10. Um, Pastor Brandon, um, I was not here when he spoke, sorry, uh, but I caught you on the podcast and uh, did a wonderful job of teaching about the first part of this scripture, um, Our Father Who Art in Heaven. And Pastor Joe, is, as always, did a fantastic job of deliver, delivering to us last week the next part of this scripture, Hallowed Be Thy Name. I have the privilege of delivering to us today, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to touch a little bit about the first part of that scripture, your kingdom come, although I, I, I kind of feel like that's pretty self-evident. My main focus, due to some things in my own life and I'm sure with the lives of, of so many others, I want to focus on the second half of that piece of scripture. But first, your kingdom come. The statement is concerning God's purpose, his purpose for us in this world. You see, when we pray your kingdom come, we're anticipating the establishment of his kingdom on this earth. And maybe you don't know, but things are going to drastically change at some point in time in our world's history. May not be in our lifetime, although I was seriously praying for God's return before this morning. Um, <laughs> really, it's not that bad. I'm just, you know, I like humor. I like things to be funny. What's the matter? Oh, you're going to make me hold a mic. Oh, dear. So, we haven't gotten to the part of uh, going through struggles yet. Uh, maybe I should jump to that now. I don't, I don't like to hold on to things when I'm pre... I mean, I, I really I don't like these things when I preach because they're just not wide enough. You know, so you can't hide behind a pole. So, going back to the establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth at some point in time, it will happen. This is part of that scripture and part of our prayer of an agreement with that an anticipation of it. And also, it is, it is an acknowledgement of God's hierarchy in our lives. That he is the king of who we are of everything that we are made up of, from the smallest particle of our physical existence to our spiritual future and the rest of the universe. He is king. And he's king of our lives. At least he should be. And I don't know about you, but I am like most people where I struggle with that from time to time of who's really in charge especially when you have a job where you're in charge of things, it tends to get muddled sometimes. So this scripture is very handy to repeat every once in a while to remind us in that moment, who's the king? Who's really in charge? Not I, not us. It sets the standard of what we are doing in this world, the glorifying of him 
the glorifying of his name and the participation in his kingdom, drawing others who may not realize the joy of his salvation and the spreading of that good news, or as others say, the gospel, and making others aware that there is more to this life than just this. There's got to be. There's got to be more than just this. And, you know, I, obviously I don't mean just buildings, lovely buildings, great building, no one get upset back there, maintenance crew, but more to life and living than just this. That's what stands behind your kingdom come. In his kingdom, his will is carried out without hindrance in the heavenly kingdom. We can't say that for down here, for our existence. I mean, would you agree with me that his will doesn't necessarily get carried out in our lives without hindrance? I shared Pastor Joe's frustration. That's a good place for an amen. Throw me a bone, folks. Come on. I'm not just physically shorter than Joe. Anyway, we pray in this piece of scripture, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are asking the Father to enact his will on earth literally as it is, as it happens, as things go in our lives, in the lives of others, in all of creation. Let your will be done as it is in heaven here. Let it happen like that, without the hindrances. Obviously, it doesn't always happen that way, though. So in order for us to help that process along, we have to accept his will. I always love it. I can always tell when the slides change, but everybody gets all excited. Oh, new slide. <laughs> I do the same thing. So, wow, what's that? Accept his will. God just in case you weren't aware, has a perfect will for your life, has a plan. I find that very liberating because then I understand a little bit better of why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. I thought he was just a, like a major phlegmatic or a saying, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, it's got enough worries itself. No, he's got a plan. He's got a plan for us. So, because he has the plan, we can make our plans, but it is his direction, it is his plan that directs and orders our steps, as the scripture says. And maybe you're sitting out there and you're kind of wondering, what in the world am I going to do with my life? God has a plan for you. Such a plan and so much love put into that plan that he made that plan long, long before any of us existed. 
And it's hard, to con it's hard to conceptualize sometimes that that could be possible, but it is. His will for our lives involves what is best for us, and it's meant to bolster our fulfillment, and it is to our advantage. I don't know too many perfect people. For self-preservation, one of the closest people to perfection is my wife, Christy. The other person who is actually perfect is Jesus, our God, our Savior. So when he says, I have a plan for you, you can depend on that plan not failing. Thank you, worship team, by the way. You, you're, you're, it's always good. Always is good. But today, that one song really spoke to my heart. He's never, ever failed. I failed, you failed, plenty. Failed him, failed others. But he has never failed us. And his plan is that sure that if it really had a true investment quality, you could put everything you had into that plan and come out the better of it. Well, it turns out, despite the finances, we can do that. We can put everything that we have into his plan by accepting his will and by acknowledging that he is in control. We pray this program, if you will, of prayer. We ask for his help. We ask for his will to be done. We accept his will. So the next step then is ascertaining his will. This can be difficult, ascertaining what God wants. It can be a struggle. J.I. Packard in his book, Praying the Lord's Prayer, said, for God's will to be done in our lives on earth in the way that it is done among the angels will involve us in quite a struggle. And that it is. It's a struggle against our will and what we want. We're notorious for that. We're notorious for wanting what we want. You hear it in shows and movies, well, the heart wants, the heart wants what the heart wants. But unfortunately, our hearts fail. There was someone who is perfect that actually struggled with this himself. In Matthew 26, 39, praying, Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup be taken away from me. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort to know that even Jesus struggled with this concept of accepting the will of God the Father. Unfortunately, that sometimes that seems to diminish things in people's eyes about Jesus. That just makes him all that more real to me. And then the second part of this Gethsemane struggle that he had that night in the garden. But not my will, but yours be done. That's where we need to end up. We need to end up in that situation 
where we're saying to God the Father, not my will, not my way, not my plans. Yours be done on earth as it is in heaven. So with that in mind, we go to the next step. Ascertaining his will. I think I said ascertaining his will the first time. I meant acquiescing. Sorry about that. So let's talk about ascertaining his will now. So how do we ascertain his will? Uh, would you agree with me that there's a lot of noise in this world? Um, to bring up a possibly painful subject, there was among a multitude of other things going on on 9-11. One thing I noticed at that horribly tragic event, the next day was the silence. I don't know if anyone else noticed that. There were no planes flying. People were not out and about quite as much. There's just this really eerie silence about it all. So how do we ascertain God's will in all of this noise, all of these other influences? Well, for one, we know God loves us. And when you're in love with someone, how do you convey that to them? Send a text? Right? That's how we do that in, in this day and age, is we text each other. We text each other all the time while we're driving, while we're sleeping, while we're walking, while we're talking, while we're doing all the things that we do throughout a day, we're texting. Text, 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 text. The other thing that we can do and that we did in the olden days is we wrote notes. I used to leave a note for my wife. We, we met at Valley Forge, then Christian College. And every day, I would sneak into the admin, because you weren't supposed to be in there with shorts. But I worked on the grounds crew, so I wore shorts all the time. So I snuck in there and left a note on the receptionist's desk where she worked. And I'd get out before anybody saw me. That was before surveillance cameras, so nobody knew. It was also before texting. <laughs> so there wasn't much of any other choice. You either, you know, Ma Bell or you wrote a note. But there's another way, which is letters or a book. And through God's word is one of the majority of the ways, okay, it's the way that God conveys his will to us. And there's four basic ways that I'm going to cover this morning that he conveys that we can ascertain his will. But this book, that God created us to be close to him. He created us to be in strong, close, passionate, relationship with him. And there's few better ways that that is conveyed but through this word. 
through this book. So reading it, absorbing it, the Word of God, is a perfect way to ascertain what His will is. His Word is a plumb line. Anybody familiar with a plumb line? If you've done any building, especially masonry or run plumbing, you know what a plumb line is. It's what keeps you straight. Used to be they were just a simple string with a weight on the end. And you'd tie it and you'd hang it and they'd tell you if you were straight or not simply by the way of gravity. God's word keeps us straight. It keeps us straight on the path for him. And it keeps us on his plan and his will for our lives. God's word is the prime method of communication. It is our guiding light, Psalm 119.105 says. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So other than the soap opera, there is an actual guiding light. Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. His word is so important to us. It's one of those things that we really need to be in daily. And in some cases, maybe hour by hour. Especially if we're going through a hard time. His word is a blessed retreat for the mind, heart, and soul. Along with the word, he uses the Holy Spirit. That inner voice. God's inner voice to us. Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Good reason to not gossip, because the Holy Spirit repeats whatever he hears. Oh, wait, no, that's from God. So, important to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because he speaks the truth. He speaks whatever he's heard. And what he speaks to us is from God. Job 33, 14 through 15 says, He speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. You ever have one of those dreams where it just wakes you up and you're just sort of like, what was that? It's very possible it could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Or it could have been the Diet Coke you had before you went to sleep. I, you know, I'm not sure, but it is possible that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. If you're having dreams, especially you have those, you ever have a dream that you wake up, you go back to sleep, and you start right where you left off? Not only is that weird, but it could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The idea through all this is to allow the Holy Spirit to have control. 
and not to resist his urges and his nudges. It's kind of like my cat, Free Fru. My kids would argue that, you know, who's his favorite? See, Free Fru is an interesting cat because he'll first start off by just staring at you. Then he moves to rubbing his face, and he does this sort of rub flop on your feet. And he lays there, and then, but he's still looking at you. And if you don't pay attention to him, then all of a sudden you get this shooting, screaming pain from your leg where he is treating you like a scratching post. And then you know it's just like, whoa, what do you want? Not that the Holy Spirit uses us like a scratching post, but it's kind of like that. He starts off with a nudge. And then there's this kind of weight. Now, where you feel it, I tend to, you know, it kind of feels like free-fru on my feet. No. But he's persistent. An old, maybe, maybe old, I don't know, but... The hound of heaven is what he's been described as. He knows where you live. But it's not one of those things where he's nagging you. And even if it is kind of nagging, if you feel that way, it's because there is love attached to that. And he knows what's to come. So his nudges, his urges are Important. He might be trying to urge and nudge us out of a situation where we're going to end up harming ourselves. Because as we know, mankind is really reliable. So reliable that the Bible has a warning that when we lean too much on our own ways, it ends in death. Death. Not very reliable. But the Holy Spirit, in God's kindness, he chases us. And sometimes that's when God uses circumstances. Some people refer to them as doors. And many times we find ourselves in these circumstances. But it's used to redirect our lives sometimes. Sometimes bad things just happen to good people. I'm not saying that everything that that happens to us is necessarily, you know, God saying, no, you're wrong. Sometimes bad things happen. But isn't it lovely to know that God, no matter what circumstance, can take that and turn it into something wonderful and beautiful, useful and powerful. Joseph, you know, the kid with the coat of many colors and the really big mouth, saying things, your brother, look at me, look at what dad made for me. Ended up in slavery. At the bottom of the pit where his brothers threw him, that's a circumstance. It very easily could have just simply been the end 
But if you read that story, you see that he held on to the trust that God had this happening for a reason. And he did his best in those circumstances no matter what. And it turned out for him that he saved the entire nation. Now that said, our circumstances, maybe we're not at the bottom of a pit. Maybe we're just trying to find those open doors that God is leading us to. My family and I in our situation of job changes and all that kind of happy jazz, we've been praying that God open the doors you want us to go through and close the ones that you don't. Now some people say when God closes a door, he opens a window. Folks, that's breaking and entering. And personally, my, my mindset is if God shuts a door, he doesn't want you climbing in the window next to it. Kind of a message there. Slam lock. But where he does shut one door, he opens another and says, you know, go through that one. I'm sure he doesn't, you know. I don't know about you, I get kicked off and it's just not by God. Um, but anyway, Proverbs twenty thirty says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. And please don't hear me diminishing some of the painful situations that some people, including ourselves, have gone through. I'm by no means making light of that of no one's situation. But whether or not God is putting you through that to make you change your ways, or it's an evil intent starting off, either way, trust God and ascertain his will, and it will turn out beautiful. It'll turn out to be something that you will look back on it and as my father says you'll think man looking from this perspective it wasn't that big of a deal maybe you won't but either way I promise you that you will look back on that situation and say thank God thank God C.S. Lewis called pain God's megaphone. And circumstances provide God with a powerful opportunity to, re to reveal his plans for us. It certainly grabs our attention. The last way we can know God's will, his plan for us, is seeking godly counsel or the counsel of godly people, God's messengers. Now, I personally have had some experience with God's messengers sometimes. You get folks and they come up to you and they're sort of like, I've got a message for you, Rick. God wants you to, and it goes on. Sorry for the accent, it just comes out. For one, we're usually seeking God's godly messengers. They don't, 
in that situation, they're, they're not necessarily looking for us. That's not to say that if someone walks up to you and says, I, I think I have a word from the Lord from you. One good way to judge, in, in this instance, it's okay to judge and, and possibly stick to the, what do you call it, the low judge? Was that sort of the... Anyway. Um, it's something that God has already been working on your heart. It's called a confirmation. So if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I had this thought. I was reading scripture. I was praying, especially if they were praying. And I thought of you. And I suddenly had this urge, a nudge. My cat clawed my leg. And it is already confirming something that is in your heart that you know God has been working on you about. That's the counsel. That's the counsel of a godly person. Sometimes, and in, 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 I say sometimes, many times, we overlook one sector of people who are a wealth, a deep, life-preserving well of godly knowledge, and that is the elderly. See, our hair gets gray due to age, teenagers, life in general, Stress can make you turn gray, but let's suffice it all to say that time and age has a tendency to turn our hair gray. Experience. And it's God's way of making a beacon in a crowd of someone that we could talk to that might know. So, you know, those of us, men or women, who are coloring our hair, you're confusing us who are looking for you for good, godly wisdom. Okay? Put down the bottle of dye and just let it go natural. Because it is a blessing from the Lord, for one. Living past a certain period of time is a blessing of the Lord, Scripture says. And that hair, or maybe lack thereof, is a sign to us that God has put something in you that those of us who are younger and coming up and struggling bitterly through this life to know what in the world we're doing, that we can go to you and get that oh so precious piece of information, godly counsel, spiritual guidance that we desperately need. Old folks aren't a joke. And besides, we're all headed that direction anyway. So, reap what you sow, respect, revere them, and it will possibly be returned to you when you're that age. I hate to put a damper on your Sunday morning, but 
we're all aging. But personally, when I think of that, I think of, I want to be someday that godly counsel. I don't want my usefulness to just simply be to take up space. A young man once lost his job in a growing and growing somewhat desperate about his plight, went to see an old pastor that he knew. As he poured out his heart to the pastor, he angrily declared, I've begged and I have begged God to say something to help me. Pastor, why doesn't God answer? The old pastor who was sitting across the room spoke a reply so quiet the young man was unable to make it out. So the young man stepped across the room. What did you say? He asked. The pastor repeated himself again in a soft tone. So the young man moved close until he was leaning on the pastor's chair. Sorry, he said. I still didn't hear you. With their heads bent together, the old pastor spoke once more. God sometimes whispers. So we will move closer to hear him. No one loves you like God loves you. No one else went to the cross for you. No one else would be willing to do it all over again if it were possible. No one else has risen from the dead from you, for you or for me. He loves us more than anyone else possibly can. And in that love, he wants to speak to us. He wants to speak to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through life circumstances, and through the counsel of godly people. Don't miss his voice. Instead, instead of running away from him, Move closer. And you may get that answer that you were looking for. As our prayer partners come forward, if you need prayer, please take advantage of these good godly people standing up here waiting to share a moment with you to lead you in prayer about your situation. There's sometimes opportunities that we look right in the face and we miss it. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't forget your orange cards to drop them off in the buckets to the left and right as you go out. But why don't we stand? And we'll close in prayer with this by no means is a close on what the Holy Spirit is currently trying to do in your life. Listen to that nudge so you don't get clawed in the leg. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, for your strength, for your word, for the circumstances that 
sometimes we find ourselves in. But most of all, I thank you for your love for us and for your guidance. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that this word that was spoke this morning would not return void, but according to your promises, that it would find a place in each and every heart that is here, a fertile spot, and that would produce fruit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.